Blog Talk Radio.
Father God, we come to you right now, Lord, thanking you for this beautiful day you've blessed us with. Lord, we welcome your presence to lead and guide the Veranda Bellamy-inspired platform tonight, God, as only you can. We have a very special guest on the call tonight, God, so we ask that you guide her words, thoughts, and what she has to share with the listeners tonight, God. We thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives, Lord, and we ask that you decrease Veranda Bellamy as you continue to increase yourself within her, God, as only you can. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ that we do pray. Amen. Inspiration with Veranda, inspiration with Veranda, putting God first in everything I do, cause I know with him there's no way I can lose, I'm inspired, fire to go higher, I'm inspired, fire to go higher, with Veranda Bellamy. Thank you all for joining Veranda Bellamy Inspired tonight, guys. We have a wonderful show lined up. I'm really, really super excited about the show and um, what we're going to bring to everyone that's on the call. And, guys, we have a great guest that's going to share some really insightful um, information with you all tonight. Um, Guys, I hope you've had a great week um, since we last um, spoke and um, have had a chance to kind of reflect on, you know, some of the things we talked about during the financial series um, for the month of January. And then for this month, we are kicking off our history series. Um, you, some of you probably have seen some of the ads that I've placed on Facebook in regards to um, history. And I, in, some, in one of the ba- um, banners, actually, it says his story. So um, we're going to explore exactly what I meant by that statement, guys, tonight. And, um, you know, as we are in the month of February, and of course, you know, globally, I would think at this point that it's um, known to be, you know, it's Black History Month. And um, I really think that Black History, you know, deserves more than a month. Really, it's it starts at home and what you're teaching your kids and, and things of that nature. So, um However, you know, to go along with, you know, what's happening right now in the U.S. um, specific to Black History Month, I felt it's only right that we talk about that on my my show, Veranda Bellamy Inspired. Um, So we're going to do that today. And um, actually for the remainder of the month of February, we're going to be talking about black history. Um, And really, you know, I really wanted to take a a step back and and provide you guys with a different look and angle um, to view black history and and what it truly means. Um, For many of us, we, we see, you know, or understand black history to mean that um, our people were oppressed, um, they didn't have anything, they were not survivors, you know. Um, Just a a really negative connotation has been associated with the term, you know, black history. So um, I wanted to really, you know, share with you guys a different angle of looking at the success that our our, um, ancestors went through and really what they fought for for us to be here today. Um, So, guys, we have a great show lined up. Again, thank you all for joining tonight. I'm going to play one more song, and then we're going to talk about the guest that's going to be on with us in just a few moments. Guys, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. Sit back and enjoy. we 
waits in expectation for the glory which shall build the earth. We wait and watch for the promise you spoke to us through your word. And we heard, expect you now. Hear our plea, lead on me with glory. Expect you now. I believe what you speak, Father. We expect you.
guys, you've just heard from um, Mr. Brian Wilson. Um, the song is titled Expect You Now. Every time I hear that song, it just does something to me. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, again, it was Brian Wilson with <laughs> Expect You Now. So, um, again, for anyone new that's joined, thank you for joining the um, call tonight, the live broadcast on the Veranda Bellamy Inspired Show. Um, we are, of course, delving into his story um and really we're going to take it from a different spin for those of you that seen um the banner ad that i created earlier this week some of the words um on this banner um really speaks to the whole purpose of this series but the words i'm just going to read them it says perseverance family structure heroism mental and physical health education survival courage leadership, community involvement, Veronda Bellamy inspired, right? So, guys, you know, we have a guest, Dr. Sonia Ramsey on the call who has um, interviewed quite a few people um, that, you know, from back in the early 1900s and um, had a chance to sit down and, and really hear their story, their experiences from actually a very positive standpoint and um, so she's going to definitely speak with you all and share some of her insights on the um, on the live broadcast tonight um, and I'm going to go ahead and bring Dr. Ramsey on I hope that she can hear me hello Dr. Ramsey are you there yes I am how are you fine fine thank you <laughs> Great. Thank you for joining um, the call tonight. Um, I'm sure you've had a chance to kind of hear the intro and everything, and um, just wanted to go ahead and introduce you to the listeners on the call tonight. Um, so tell us a little bit about who Dr. Sonia Ramsey is exactly. Okay. I am a history professor at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, and I do um, work specifically on African-American women's history, but I also do African-American history in general and U.S. history, and I do women and gender studies as well. So I'm a history professor, and I'm also what, which means I teach and I write, and I write about black women's lives primarily. So. That's awesome. And are you, you are an African-American woman, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. Just want to, you know, share that with everyone <laughs> so that they, you know, know exactly that we are um, speaking to someone of the race that uh, that we're talking about for this month. So you you work in history. You've, you've had a chance also, from what I reviewed, you've had a chance to kind of interview um, some, some people during your studies um, in college. Is that correct? Yes, and I do that as a part of my research. I'm, I'm what's called an oral historian, and what we do is we just interview people to get evidence just the same as you would go read a letter or you go get a newspaper or you do other types of research. Our interviews are our research, and because for African Americans, much of our history may be lost or not written, not recorded properly, so we have to actually, if we can, go out and talk to the actual people who made the history in certain cases. So I continue I, in college and in graduate school, and as my research, I, I interview people as a part of my work. That's phenomenal. What was, like, the most inter interesting, I guess, um, interview that you had a chance to conduct? 
Oh, I have several. Um, most of the time I participated in a project um, where we traveled around the South and especially specifically North Carolina interviewing African-Americans who remembered the years of segregation. And I had one interview mm-hmm. of an older gentleman in a small town in North Carolina who did not have the opportunity to attend school at all because they had no schools. And he was born maybe around 1900. And he just learnt, taught himself to read and he ordered books from the from the mail and he taught himself to read he taught himself to play the violin so he became a violinist he taught himself how to do um carpentry but he was just so self-taught and so wise and in a society in a time when it was the opportunities were so limited for black men he was able to navigate through all those barriers and make a life for himself and we were just so interested in hearing from him um, because he you we can all talk about in our lives what barriers we have but he had concrete legal political social barriers that right that were written down that he couldn't do and he seemed to overcome them it was a very remarkable interview yeah, that had to be really hard. You know, you think about right now, um, Dr. Ramsey, how everything pretty much for us is like at the at the tip of tip of our fingers. We can access any information we want, you know, by simply going to Google and typing in whatever it is that we're researching, right? So, right. you know, thinking back to the gentleman that you're referring to and how he, you know, was self-taught, you know, a violinist. He taught himself how to read how difficult that could have and sh- and would have been like for someone today to actually do that. Um, so with him, you know, you said that he taught himself how to play the violin. He taught himself how to read. Um, so that meant that he had to really, I, I can't even, I can't even fathom, like how did he make those connections? Like how did, did he share with you how he was able to connect with um, people that had written books or um, get well, I, music I to learn how to play the violin? No, I think he didn't. He was in such a small town. He just ordered them through the mail and taught himself. That was so remarkable. He didn't grow up around um, academics or musicians. He just taught himself because he, for him it seemed so like, why can't everybody else do that? It didn't seem to him like this was an extraordinary thing. But he wanted a better mm-hmm. life for himself, and this is what he had to do to survive because there were no other options but I mean, sharecropping or maybe working at a mill. But he wanted a different life, so that's what he did. But I think in today's society he'd be a CEO or a big entrepreneur, and that's what you see when interviewing these people, that they were so brilliant. But because of the barriers, they they could not pursue what we can pursue today. We can be a CEO or a doctor or or a movie star. They they didn't, so they, they in their small world they made the best out of it. And that's what he did. And I've done lots of interviews. Well, there's so many interesting people. I interviewed a lady that was a midwife and how she had to go into the homes of the really poor people and help them clean up their home and make their home ready for the baby to come. And how she was really took care of these women so they could have healthy babies because the doctors weren't really paying, you know, doctors weren't there to deliver their babies at that time. So she really was instrumental in them having healthy children. There's lots of fascinating stories of the people I've interviewed. And primarily I interviewed teachers. Um, That was kind of an African-American teachers has such a prestigious role in the black community and during segregation because they were the last great hope for black parents that their children would succeed. Their schools may have been run down or underfunded or, or they were going to face so many barriers, but these teachers had this very 
difficult role of trying to instill in these children self-esteem and the ability to work hard and not to accept and just be bitter about where they were in life. And so that I interviewed them, and they were so extraordinary ladies who just primarily really had a lot of stories to tell. So they were really interesting to talk to as well. That's awesome. So you interviewed a lot of teachers um, from that time, and you said they were pretty much seen um, as being like, I guess, the cornerstone and, and really, I guess, you know, people looked up to them. Um, in the communities as being a teacher and being in that particular role, um, where were these teachers at? Like what states were they in that you interviewed? Well, I interviewed them in Tennessee and in North Carolina. And what's interesting about mm-hmm. them, they taught, um, they didn't teach in prestigious places. They taught in one-room schoolhouses in the rural areas mm-hmm. or in the urban areas where overcrowded schools. But they didn't think of terms like at-risk children or children are just lost. They were just, all of their children were poor. They were going to educate them anyway. They didn't have that attitude that these children can't be educated. And because um, those were the children of, of their, our people, they felt everybody should get an education. And they also, um, they believed in instilling them things outside of the classroom, like they would teach them how to set a table or how to eat um, eat with a knife and fork properly, proper etiquette. Um, they took them to different functions around town. Their role was much more out, outside of the classroom as it was in the classroom. Um, I've had teachers buy prom dresses for their students or sew dresses for their students way beyond the actual academic day. They, their role was very important in the community. So. That's awesome. So these ladies sought to go beyond the call of duty. Essentially, it, it became just who they it's who they were, right? Right. So that they, was they saw the need. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They saw the need, and they really just wanted to really help out um, and provide these kids. And, and like you said, I really like how you said they didn't see the kids as being at risk. It was just, you know, these kids need help, and I'm here to help them, and I'm willing to do whatever I can to, you know, pull them forward in life. Um, and, you know, as I looked at your bio and, and just looking at, you know, some of the things you've done um, in interviewing these teachers, you know, and understanding their mindset and understand um, understanding exactly what they embodied, um, what was, like, one of the biggest things that you were able to take away from, you know, some of the interviews that you conducted? I think it was the ability or the attitude that these teachers had that they knew they were going into a difficult environment. They knew they were going into a school that did not have the same textbooks as the white schools, but they simply memorized the textbooks and taught the kids anyway. I wow. think it was teaching or working with no excuses. That's what I like. And they, they certainly didn't have things that were fair. They were, un, they were not paid the same as white teachers, but they, did, they had the same educational credentials. So what they did was get, was get more educational credentials to try to compete. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have this ability. Um, I think some people have today are just, it's not fair, so I'm going to give up. They just couldn't give up. Yeah. That's all mm-hmm. they knew, and they just kept fighting. And I think um, they, they, over time, with some of the complexities of desegregation, some of the prestige has been lost for our teachers, and that's actually, mm-hmm. it's complex because we got integrated schools and better opportunities, but we also lost some of that nurturing that these black teachers provided. So it's a very complex kind of, you know, situation to think about. So. Yeah, that is, it really is. And you think about today and how teachers really, 
in my opinion, I think teachers should be paid um, as much as a doctor because you're essentially raising kids to be productive citizens. You know, you're giving these kids everything they need to go forth and be successful in life, you know, everything that you possibly can give to them um, from an educational standpoint. So um, it's just, you know, it's remarkable that they were seen you know, during that time as being a pillar to society um, and in their communities. And then it's, you know, kind of sad that, you know, when you really think about the teacher's role today and how society looks at the teachers and how they're not paid as much as they are really not necessarily worth, but um, what they should be getting um, in comparison to other positions that exist now. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. It's disheartening. It really is. But these teachers that you had a chance to actually interview, they spoke with you and, and kind of shared with you that they were, you know, doing whatever they had to do during that time. They didn't see it as a challenge, really. Um, and like you said, they would memorize books like that by itself. It's just it's incredible just so that they could, you know, take the text and actually share it with the children. Is that correct? Yes, and the other thing I wanted to talk about, the teachers talked about, was their actual schools. Their actual schools may have been very run down and dilapidated under a substandard, but they made their schools this kind of home for their students. And they made the schools, like the if you talk to black communities in most urban areas or even rural areas, they loved their black school. They just wanted more opportunities. And so they had bands and choirs, and, and the teachers would sponsor events for the students and they had a very like close knit family like atmosphere in atmosphere in these schools, and it was actually a fun place to go to. They really loved their schools. It's just they wanted more opportunities and they wanted equal opportunities um, that as the white schools had. But but they it's not that they knew their schools weren't weren't funded the same. But it's not like they hated their schools. They they just wanted more things in their schools, and that was an interesting thing. And so some of the teachers when they um, transferred over to white schools, they were shocked to see the white schools had so many more things, but they had taught so differently. They they didn't they taught with more more different types of discipline ideas or or different kind of nurturing ideas. But they had to adjust. They had to adjust to teaching white students and, and they did. They did adjust, but it was a transition for them. But but um I just wanted to make sure we understand that their schools weren't funded the same, but they really did have an affection for those schools because it was theirs. They had their teachers and their band and their football team and all of these things, and the community supported the schools. Oftentimes, communities, um, black communities were, in a way, double taxed, where they paid taxes to the city for the whites for the schools, but they also had to support the black schools because they, they weren't underfunded, so they paid twice, in a way, which is also interesting. So. Wow. So they, they shared all of that information with you. I wonder if that's still, you know, prevalent today to some capacity in terms of the taxing um, but as it relates to how you were saying essentially that they had to learn, you know, essentially how to, I guess, teach a different culture, um, I would think it's kind of the same way today, wouldn't you? Like, you know, because it's, it's very, the cultures, the African-American culture is very different from the Caucasian culture or any other race. Um, there's a culture within every type of, you know, race that exists. So, um, but they were able to, like you said, just navigate to navigate into whatever the role was and the culture was, and provide still, you know, teachings of substance and build these kids up. Is that correct? 
Right, yes. I think there's so many factors affecting teachers now, but um, I think mm-hmm. at this time for a teacher that was one of the few jobs, black, professional jobs black women or black people could attain. So they had mm-hmm. people who now would probably be doctors or engineers or CEOs be teachers. Some of them had PhDs mm-hmm. teaching in elementary school because they couldn't get a job at a college. So all the college jobs, black college jobs may have been taken. Wow. So, so they, mm-hmm. they are kind of a super group of people there. So things are so different now. I think a lot of people attract different types of people are attracted to teaching. I think there is a um, a shortage, of a dearth or a very much a, a shortage of black teachers now um, in the classroom. I think most teachers now are not African American. So that's one of the things that they are simply not there to do some of this work that we need in our community. So um, I think now uh, it needs to be a call for more to encourage more young black people to become teachers, but it's so hard with the salaries not being fair and things. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my opinion. But I think more black people would certainly be attracted to teaching or people in general. It's just there seems to be an attack on the teaching profession these days, and I don't understand why because we all want our children to get an education. <laughs> If we don't have opportunities for everyone to get an education, we're going to pay the penalty for that in the long run. So, yeah. So, but that's just my opinion. So, <laughs> no, you're right on it, Dr. Ramsey. I totally agree with you. I I am so there with you, and it's really, like I said, it's disheartening. You know, when you look back, sit back, and and really look at the reality of what teachers, you know, and their role is, and and what they actually get for that particular role, um, and. Sadly enough, it probably the African-American teachers are less because of the salary, and then it's so much that plays into that um, that we're not even going to explore, you know. <laughs> but right. um, this this is just, you know, phenomenal work overall that you've done, um, Dr. Ramsey, and I know that, you know, you've written a book as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the book that you, you've written, the name of it, and where listeners can find the information? Oh, sure. Um, my book is called Reading, Writing, and Segregation, A Century of Black Women Teachers in Nashville, and you can get it at Target.com or um, Amazon.com. And I'm currently working on a project looking at the work of educators who are activists after the, so after desegregation, like how did they help their students adjust to being in predominantly white schools and how did they do how they created these programs like we have we can remember in the 80s how to save our young black men or or help young girls um not become pregnant how the work they did outside of the classroom um during the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s in response to desegregation if we have civil rights now how do we implement it and what do we do with it so that's my next project that i'm excited about and i'm interviewing people in charlotte and talking about these things because that's um right now so though I still deal with education, but I'm looking at the larger issues of how how it, desegregation affected black people's lives um, after the civil rights. I'm kind of toward the end of the civil rights movement. So, Wow. I would love to hear that final. Once you're done with that project, can you come back on and talk to the listeners about oh, it? Oh, I sure will. Let yeah. them know <laughs> how that plays out because so much has happened, um, you know, from the 70s up until now, um, it's just it's so much that I want to say, and I'm just trying to find the right words to say right now to fit in this box of time that we have. Um, right. But, yeah, if, once you're done with it, if you could just, you know, keep me abreast of it, and, and once you're complete, you've completed the project, I would love to have you back on so you can you can certainly speak to the um, 
listeners about exactly what the project entailed and, and what you found from it. So that's great. Um, and you are also a professor, is that correct, with UNC Charlotte, is that correct? Yes, I'm an associate professor, yes, at UNC. So I also okay. do, I also teach and do research, yes. Okay, awesome. And what role exactly, like what does that entail with um, UNC Charlotte? What What is the role like? Well, I teach different courses on um, the semester, so um, the students are enrolled. I, I teach African-American women's history and, and United States history. Mm-hmm. They're very different populations, but I, I put some of my black women's history in my U.S. history course, and I put some of the U.S. history Good. course in my black women's history course to give a context. I also teach um, upper-level courses on social protest movements, and I teach an um, interesting course in the Women and Gender Studies Department um, program, rather, that is not history-based, but I have history in it, but it's called Race, Sexuality, and the Body, and it looks at how um, issues of race and issues of sexuality um, 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 and issues of things like femininity and masculinity are shaped by how we view things through race. So I hit on history. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we looked at the Trayvon Martin um, situation and how they viewed his body as a certain representation of their fears and all of these things. So we talk about a lot of these current, they're very current events there. So so I get a different group of students for that one, but I enjoy that class too. So. That sounds really interesting. You said it's called Race, Sexuality, in the Body? Right. Is the name of the so course? Hmm? I beg your pardon? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, we do things like we looked at black women's hair, issues black women have with their hair and how there have been one-time political representations and how black women are always challenged about their hair. And you can find so many current examples of that, the Gabby Douglas in the Olympics and the, I think her name is Pat Oliver, and the sportscaster, and how, mm-hmm. how that represents black women. So we talk a lot of different things. We look at other people, too, than African Americans, Asian women and Asian um men and masculinity and how that's viewed in the United States as is viewed as very differently viewed in Asian countries and how we we look at Latino women and so we look at all different kinds of people in that class. So it's interesting. So that sounds really interesting. It really does because there definitely is <laughs> a different role um or a different aspect to look at, you know, race as it relates to sexuality from the different different races, the different um, cultures that a person comes from, um, you know, and just being able to explore that just openly with the class, that's got to be in a very interesting dialogue that you have. Yeah, it's a very that you have. They're, Yes, they're very open. And it, at first, when I first started teaching it, because I'm a, just a traditional historian, I was very shocked even for some mm-hmm. of the things they said, but I felt like my presence in the classroom may guide them to a better place than it would be if they didn't have a, a person. I'm a Christian, I'm a, you know, all these things. If they didn't have that guide in the classroom, that they can see me and see someone is accepting of them, but also it's going to challenge them on some of their ideas. So, so and, and not challenge, but, but help them formulate what they think at least. If they're going to think that way, they need to be able to prove it and back it up and support, you know, be able to promote it. So, so which I think is helpful in life for students to be able to do. So, so, but it's in an interesting class as well. So, <laughs> it sounds like it. You are doing an awesome job, Dr. Ramsey, and um, I commend you on all of the efforts that you have um, going on and and um, the different classes that you teach and the book and just your passion for history and. 
um, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you put a little bit of African-American history in, in both, you know, classes that you teach, the American side as well as the African-American women's side. So um, kudos to you. Keep up the great work. It's so much um, that our history entails that has not been brought to the forefront, like, you know, some of the things you've shared about the role of the teacher in the community back during, you know, the late 1800s, um, early 1900s, during that time. You don't hear a lot about, you know, things like that. You don't hear about, you know, African-American women or men that went on to become, you know, professors. Um, you just don't hear things like that. Do you Have you thought about why that is exactly? Well, I think... I think sometimes people only want to hear about the struggles or the hard things in life, but the history is there. It's just we don't talk about it. I don't know if we talk about it in our families or we don't talk about it in our churches, but it's not that it's not there. There are lots of great history books out now. My fellow historians are writing books and books and books on this stuff, but it's, it doesn't get it doesn't flow through the actual person, the actual regular person, and that is what our goal mm-hmm. is trying to to get it down to the everyday person and so um and try to figure out how to filter it down to them or you know have that communicate but it's not that it's not it used to be not there it used to be because you couldn't find mm-hmm. it but it is there now so so we need to talk about their struggles of course but we also need to talk about the triumphs they made through those struggles and they weren't mm-hmm. superhuman sometimes exactly. when we talk about it they're super made to be superhuman people but they were really just regular <laughs> people who just had courage and just had mm-hmm. this determination and just couldn't couldn't stay in, in the status quo of where they were, and they had to just fight. But I think if more people understood that and see, like, this Martin Luther King was actually a real person. He, he is a statue now, but he was actually a real person um, <laughs> who had problems, but, just, you know, was a real person. I think um, yeah. that can make us understand things that what we can try things, too, and we can try to change things, too, so... That's exactly correct. Um, <laughs> uh, you, that's correct. You, you're saying basically that the history now is is more prevalent in books. And I know you have your book that you've written. Um, and again, to everyone and anyone that's recently joined the call, we're speaking with um, Dr. Sonia Ramsey, who is um, an author. She's a, a professor at UNC Charlotte. She's written quite a bit of um, work in regards to um, African-American history as well as just history overall. But the name of her book is, again, uh, Reading, Writing, and Segregation, A Century of Black Women Teachers in Nashville, um, Women in American History. You can actually locate her book by just going to Amazon.com and typing in her name, Sonia Ramsey, and um, it's also available on Target. Target.com if you wanted to um, purchase the book from there. Um, And, Dr. Ramsey, outside of your book, are there any other books that you can recommend to um, the listeners tonight? Oh, there are so many. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think there's a book on the women in the freedom. If you're interested in oral histories, a book on women in the um, freedom um, summer movement and um, what they're trying to get help blacks get to vote in Mississippi. Um, there's a book, if you're interested in earlier history during slavery, there's history um, called Laboring Women by Jennifer Morgan, and it talks about how black women had to labor in the fields, but they also had to labor having babies, and that helped keep slavery going, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, but also helped us survive. That's a fascinating book, too. But there are several different great books. If they wanted to email me, I could give them a list of books that they could find on the kind of subjects that they want are interested in. So. 
Well, that's awesome. I'll definitely um, get a list from you, and also in just a few moments we'll get your contact information. But, um, you know, guys, Sonya, Dr. Sonia Ramsey, she's just speaking, you know, from the experiences that she's had, you know, during her time when she was in college and as well as being a professor, just, and I'm sure in everyday life, um, this is just a passion for her. This is not something that she just kind of wants to do or maybe has an interest in. No, this is her passion, and she's very good at what she does. And I wanted to bring her on um, to speak with you guys um, just so you can hear that, you know, there was a, a very positive side to African-American history outside of what many of us may hear in the media. Um, for most of you or many of you that's on my Facebook page, you saw a banner ad that I posted, and in that banner ad, the words were highlighted, you know, as per, uh, perseverance, family structure, um, heroism, education, survival, courage, leadership, community, history, um, on Veronica Bellamy Inspired, and that's essentially exactly what Dr. Ramsey has shared with you guys was the positive side to our history. You know, so essentially we're trying to get you guys to understand exactly that we were in our, it's just in our blood to be strong, to be courageous, to know who we are and know the history that we come from, guys. It's in us. It's up to us to take that that understanding that energy, that um, culture that's already inside of us, and, and spin it so that we make the mark that we need to make to rise beyond the, sta the snares of what society expects for the African-American culture. Um, so, Dr. Ramsey, is there, do you have any final words that you would like to share with the listeners tonight? I guess I would just, uh, during this month, we talk about it just being a month, but if I would like people to focus on this month and, and try to do something historical this month or read something in history. I know many people actually don't like history. They say that to me all the time. But maybe find something if you're interested in sports or music or the arts or politics. Find something historical and then tell someone else about it and spread that idea. Because we do have a month, but it should be all year round. But if we do have a month, we could focus on this month and make this month extraordinary. So I guess I'll close with that. So. That's great. You guys heard her. That came from Dr. Ramsey. She said, get on it. That's what she said, basically. <laughs> You're African-American. There's no reason why you should not know your history. And then to, and I love the fact that she said, share that. So whatever you learn, share it with other people. Dr. Ramsey, it's been a, a pleasure having you on tonight and, um, you know, you sharing your expertise with the listeners. How can they get in contact with you if they would like to? Well, they can contact me um, at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, um, and then my, I don't know if they want to write me, my address is um, Sonia Ramsey, the Department of History, 9201 University City Boulevard, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28223, or just by email, S-R-A-M-S-E, the numbers 17 at edu. Um, and email is fine. I, I actually work the best by email. So, so my, if they want to email me, that would probably be the best way to contact me. So. Okay, so your email is S as in Sonya, and then your yes. last name, Ramsey, R-A-M-S-E-Y-1-7. Um, yes, no, no Y on the end, R-A-M-S-E, and then 17. Gotcha. At uncc.edu. Right. Also, my phone number is 704-687-5154. All right, guys. 
So you've just heard from Dr. Ramsey. Um, Dr. Ramsey, again, I appreciate you joining. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and an honor to have you on the show. We look forward to having you back on as you continue in your efforts and the projects that you're working um, so that you can share it with everyone that's on the call. Um, We appreciate it again, and I hope that you have an awesome night. Yes, thank you. My pleasure. Alrighty, guys. So you've just heard from Dr. Sonia Ramsey. She is a um, an author as well as a professor at UNC Charlotte. We're going to take a break here and and play a song um, that actually. Uh, let's see here. Which one do I want to hear right now? Sit back and enjoy. I'm glad I caught you guys, but you got out the door. I'm really glad I caught you. <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes, um, I don't, I don't even know. I, I was, I was, I, I got awakened um, a couple of nights ago. And um, luckily for me, can you hear me okay? Okay, okay. Um, luckily for me, I had the hotel pad next to the bed, so I caught it, you know, because these things come really fast, and if you don't have a pen or a dictaphone or something, they go just as fast. So um, I caught this, and it, it's called... Thank you. I, I caught this. And it's called, And I Heard, okay? And it, it goes like this. Um, doom, doom. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. And I heard. You seem to have a mystery of me. I am here to broach it. I am he who resides in everything growing and glowing. I am not one to try and hide. I am here and I show it. Make no mistake, Satan is the father of life. But I'm father to him and all of them, and you are like, do you understand what you feel inside? And you are like, and you are like, do you understand what you feel inside? And you are like, and I heard. Wow, 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 wow. Look at your light bright. Do you know how bright you are to me? You're a homemade star in my sight. And I'm guiding you constantly moving. There is 
Ida B. Wells is another person. Number three, um, she was a journalist and civil rights activist uh, back in the late 1800s, um, basically when blacks could still you know, remember being slaves, she was there and, and breathing and living and fighting during that time. Um, Wells was born just before um, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, she was known also for being outspoken and unafraid to challenge whites, an attitude that could have easily gotten her lynched, but she won. <laughs> Isn't that great? Number four, Sojourner Truth. We've all heard of her, right? An abolitionist and women's um, rights activist. Sojourner Truth escaped from slavery in her late 20s with her infant son. Imagine what that was like, yet she had the courage to move beyond what she was dealing with. Slavery, she knew that her life had purpose. She knew that she could press beyond those demands, and she made history, guys. Um, She is known as never backing down. It quotes and says, Truth took the master to court, won the case, and got her son back. Okay, we're moving on. Number five, Vivian Malone, one of the first two African Americans to enroll at the University of Alabama. Guys, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Um, But Vivian Malone, um, she was faced down, uh, menacing George uh, Wallace, who vowed to never allow blacks to enroll in the all-white institution. However, she was um, actually one that graduated from the University of of Alabama. Um, Not only enrolling and graduating, Malone went on to retire as a director of civil rights and urban affairs, as well as director of environmental justice for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Um, In 2000, the University of Alabama awarded her a Doctorate of Humane Letters. Awesome work. Salute, Dr. Vivian. Um, Number six, Harriet Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman led about 70 slaves to northern freedom um, through the Underground Railroad. At age 29, Tubman escaped slavery but eventually returned for the rest of her family several trips. Um, When the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was enacted, Tubman led slaves to Canada where slavery was prohibited. Years later, when discussing her dangerous mission, Tubman said, I was conductor of the Underground Railroad for eight years, and I can say what most conductors can't say. I never ran my train off the track. I never lost a passenger. Salute, Dr. Um, Tubman. Number seven, Elizabeth Eckford, a member of the Little Rock Nine. Elizabeth Eckford was one of nine um, high school students who integrated Central High School in Little Rock, at, um, Arkansas, in 1957. On the um, tumultuous day, racist white crowds accosted Eckford and the rest of the, ten, of the teens, making their first day of school one of the worst educational experiences any child could ever have. But what puts Eckford on the list is her steely resolve in this, um, and, and how she was able to navigate through that horrible experience for the students. And she is known as being Rollet Sock, Solid Rock. She was just strong, and she stood, and she became known for that. Salute you, Elizabeth Eckford. Number eight, Mary McLeod 
Bethune, um, how many women of any race will be able to say that they founded a nationally recognized university that flourished well after their death? Um, Mary Bethune is one of them, like many universities founded not too long after slavery. Uh, Bethune-Cookman University began as a school that taught basic math and reading and eventually grew into a college over the years. Now the university has a sizable uh, sports program, a graduate school, and thousands of alumni who have Mrs. Bethune to thank for their upwardly, um, upwardly mobile careers and lifestyle. Salute, Mary Bethune. Number nine is Miss Oprah Winfrey. She's with, here with us today. We know all about her, um, and it just just to share some of the things that it's. Um, Sharon here, Oprah Winfrey will always be remembered for having the strongest grip on white female television viewers ever. A dark-skinned black woman who struggled with fluctuating weight issues defied the stereotypical notions of what it takes to dominate primetime television. There are very few people of any color who can make an up-and-coming author or business person an instant millionaire just by saying of their product. I like it, and she does that, and you know it. Salute Oprah Winfrey. Number 10, women of the civil rights movement. Um, social activist Julian, Julian Bond um, says of women during the civil rights movement, movement, quote, there's a Chinese saying, and it says, women hold up half the world. In the case of the civil rights movement, it's probably three-quarters of the world. I'm ending there, guys. Thank you for joining Veronda Bellamy Inspired. I look forward to speaking with you guys and continuing in the history, history series um, for the month of February. As Dr. Ramsey shared with you guys, she challenged you to go and really find something that you've never read before on history, our history, and whatever you find, do like she said with the teachers, remember what you read, and then you go and you share that with someone else, okay? So I'm, doing, I'm going to follow her in that challenge, and I'm going to do that myself, and I'm challenging you, you all to um, do the same. Um, guys, thank you for joining. We'll be back on next Sunday, 7 o'clock, um, guys, and if you ever need to reach me, go to my website, www.verondabellamy.com. Click on contact me or set an appointment, schedule an appointment to speak with me, and guys, we'll go ahead and, and, and talk about whatever we need to talk about. But I want you guys to be inspired to keep living your life. I'm going to promise to, at this point, to bring you guys content of relevancy. You all know anyone that's on the call, that's my focus, my aim for every show that I bring to you. Um, guys, have an awesome week, and I need for you to sit tight, and we'll talk next Sunday, okay? Be blessed. Inspiration with Veranda, inspiration with Veranda, putting God first in everything I do, cause I know with him, there's no way I can lose, I'm inspired, fire to go higher, I'm inspired, fire to go higher, with Veranda Bellamy. Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is your boy Benjamin B. Giving a thanks to one more reason to praise. One more
one more reason to worship. That's one more reason to dance. Come on, get on this.
the blessings from his window to overflow on the people of God. And the praises shall receive a blessing from heaven. Let's go!
bits of James B. Stedman, generals of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep praising. I'm out of here.